Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We're going to hear from all three of my colleagues from Lions 24-7 here along the way. This episode, our second of the week. If you missed our last episode, we did a full recap of what was a tremendously busy past weekend for Penn State football. Three commitments on Sunday, a prospect camp, their first prospect camp of the summer on Sunday as well. We look back at all of it uh, on our on our Tuesday episode here. We are focused on a bunch of different directions because it doesn't even feel safe to sit down and record yet on a Thursday because there's been so much news popping and some of it we anticipated. Some of it has just popped. And and among that is basketball program rounding out its upcoming roster. We'll talk about that move in a second. But we did know we'd be going uh, to meet with Penn State football coaches today on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, initially set for outside. And uh, obviously with the air quality situation, we moved indoors. And with the Lash building, they opened the doors to us in the media. And we appreciated that. And not only was it James Franklin, the head coach, and his coordinators, uh, Mike Yurcich, Manny Diaz, and Stacey Collins, but each of the position coaches were available. We heard from guys like Chuck Pelosi and Andy Frank, who do it all behind the scenes. And, of course, James Franklin stepped up to the microphone for about 20 solid minutes. And I was there alongside Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan, who joined me right now here on the Line 24-7 podcast. We'll have Tyler Calvaruso uh, joining us a little bit later in the podcast, uh, looking ahead to this official visit weekend, another prospect camp on the horizon on Sunday. I know he has some thoughts on this basketball pickup. I know you have some thoughts on the basketball pickup, yet another transfer addition for that program. But we've got to begin whenever Penn State says, yeah, come on in. We, we got to start with that conversation. And it was a, a let's call it a summer media session in the Lash building for Penn State. They are about two months away from putting the pads back on, getting underway with preseason football. They're now just about seven, eight weeks removed from spring ball. So it feels like they're kind of right in between there, Mark, of when we last saw them, when we're going to see them next. And along the way, as we gain more information about this team, they added a ton of transfer talent in May. And we got news today that they're bringing back some significant talent after injury recovery. So a lot to learn today from conversations with James Franklin and company. Yeah, first of all, I really appreciate them doing this. I mean, uh, this is something that just came about in the last couple of years. And to have Franklin and every assistant and then some of the key behind-the-scenes guys, as you said, uh, is a great thing. It's a little overwhelming when, when you're in the middle of it. Uh, but what great content, not just for today, but, you know, moving forward over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, to me – couple of things that stood out you mentioned about the, the players who were banged up who uh, it looks like they're going to be you know full go coming back including Theo Johnson uh, James Franklin was asked specifically about Theo and his uh, minor off the field thing uh, you know legal matter and said that'll be handled you know internally the way they always handle that that sort of thing but it didn't seem to me as if he was uh, I want to put this the right way. Uh, that 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 just did not seem to me as if it's going to be something that significantly impacts this kid for multiple weeks or anything like that. So he also said that they felt that they had to do some of their own investigations on that sort of thing, uh, right. which I, you know to me uh, makes sense. I felt I felt obliged uh, to ask if they had settled on a QB one uh, because that question was not asked after the blue white game when things got steered in some goofy directions, which was a little bit disappointing. 
uh, and you know, knowing I, I was guessing that that he wasn't really going to give us an answer, but you know, we really haven't been in this spot where you didn't have a real good feel for who that QB was going to be for for several years now. And I think as Daniel uh, Daniel has pointed out, uh, kind of behind the scenes, working on some other things. Uh, Penn's, Franklin's only had three starting quarterbacks to open the season. So it is kind of a new thing. Uh, so yeah, he, he said, yeah, that's going to be the, the, the competition is going to continue. Uh, and then he proceeded to give us his breakdown of Drew Aller, making him seem like he's the second coming of, uh, you know, Tom Brady. Uh, so I think we all know where that's headed. But I was anxious to see if they had actually made the decision because some programs do. James Franklin doesn't like to get that out there publicly, and I completely get that. He wants to keep the competition going. Uh, so that's something that we're going to be able to monitor throughout preseason camp, but I don't think it's going to be any uh, surprise when number 15 ends up being the starting quarterback. I'm sensing week three of August, maybe maybe week three of camp, by the time we, we get some clarity on this. The last time that, that we were in June uh, on the calendar year, and, and, and it was uh, yeah, we didn't know who QB1 was in, in firm, firm ink, it was 2019. So it is some time. It was Sean Clifford. It was Will Levis. You had Tommy Stevens uh, hit, hit the exit door, go off to Mississippi State. Uh, even then, we sensed it was going to be Sean Clifford. This is not a sense. This is, it, it, you know, no disrespect to, to Bo Perbula, who they need to be yeah. a very viable option for them. But uh, th there is really, doesn't need to be a coronation. I think we all know what the deal is at quarterback. And again, you know, the NBC teaser footage that they came to town and shot, uh, they didn't, I, I don't think they took alternate shots with Bo and Drew. I think they, when they had their casting call, there was one quarterback on that list based on what we could gather. And I want to go back to Theo Johnson because, look, I was curious. When, when you bring up a guy who is dealing with a legal matter of any issue, and we've seen different varieties here in the last five, six years, to Franklin's credit, there's usually not a lot to talk about. And when there is, it's not things that I think most of us would categorize as extremely serious. In this instance, I was curious you know, if he was going to be short about Theo Johnson, that was going to be kind of a telltale sign of where things were within the program. Instead, he, you know, he referenced that, and then he said, "But let me tell you about who Theo Johnson is becoming in our building." Yeah. That, by the way, lost six team captains. All six of those team captains from last year. We're all wondering who's going to step up. Olu Fashion, who named a, a team captain coming out of spring ball, but who else on offense might get that? And certainly sounds like Theo Johnson might fit that bill based on what James Franklin said today. And that was one of the lead items in your notebook from takeaways from our time with James Daniel. Definitely. I, I thought that Franklin was, was pretty, you know, he, he had a lot of praise uh, for Theo Johnson and, and what, you know, what he's done from the leadership perspective. Um, I had the chance to ask Ty Howe, the tight ends coach, about that uh, as well a little bit later. Um, and Ty Howe said kind of the, the same things that James Franklin did that, you know, it, it is a you know, decently young room. Um, behind Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. You know, Khalil Dinkins has been around for a while, but he hasn't played um, a ton. So you've got a lot of young guys like Dinkins, like Jerry Cross. You have Andrew Rappelier uh, and Joey, Joey Schlafer in there too. So there is an opportunity for Theo Johnson to really step up, uh, set the tone, um, and, and really, you know, take on that leadership role in that room. And James Franklin has said, you know, the, the leadership question has been asked uh plenty of times this off season and we've kind of figured out what the stock answer is. And I think it's a, a good one and an interesting one that the leadership is going to be different this year, as opposed to last year, um, that it's going to be more voices 
um, that are stepping up as opposed to last year where you had those, you know, few loud voices, guys like Sean Clifford, like Jair Brown, um, those types of fiery personalities aren't necessarily uh, around this year. So it's going to be, you know, a lot of different guys stepping up and working in their own little areas to kind of, you know, bring this team together. And I think Theo Johnson is one of those people. Um, I guess the last time we talked to him was before the Rose Bowl. And in talking to him about this year, you know, he sounded, you know, very determined, very serious. And, you know, he knows what is at stake, um, I think, for this team and what it can accomplish. And then for him personally, um, with what he could be able to do uh, for himself at the next level with, um, you know, a, a type of season that he can put out there. So, you know, I think that he's a very, you know, I think he might be a little bit more of an under the radar uh, person when you talk about key figures for the 2023 season. But I think that he is someone who can play a major role for Penn State, you know, both on the field, but also off the field and in the locker room. Yeah, I think I think uh, people around the Penn State community are on the Theo Johnson. I think they've been projecting a breakout here. They got it in the second half of last season. He ended up leading the entire team in yards per reception with almost 17 yards per catch at that size. That says a lot. We've talked about the athletic uh, you know, arsenal here and what that might look like come NFL combine time. But it's time for him to prove a lot. You know, Coming in as a top 10 uh, tight end prospect, now being viewed as that kind of a player. I think nationally, though, he, you're right, Daniel. When, when people kind of go down the list of who are the guys to know at Penn State, it probably does take them a while if they even get there at all because you see Brenton Strange leave as a second-round pick. People may think that things could slip from the outside looking in at tight end. I don't think any of us who cover the team closely. Maybe depth is a question. Khalil Dinkins trying to answer that. Uh, Jer- Jerry Cross, maybe Andrew Rapplier is a freshman. But up at the top, you're getting not just Theo Johnson back after missing all of spring practice, but you're also getting Tyler Warren back after missing all of spring practice. And look, the stat sheet last season wasn't robust for him. He had 10 catches on the year. Uh, three of them were for touchdowns. But with Tyler Warren, he was banged up all season from start. I mean, you're looking from game one against Purdue when he had a very important catch, if we can recall, uh, in that opening matchup. Theo Johnson wasn't available for the first two games last year, so he was slotted as the next man up at tight end along with with Brenton Strange. And then from that point on, he's battling. You know, there was a stretch there where he was getting 10 to 15 snaps a game for almost a month. Finishes, I think, the last three games, goes 25-plus snaps, so carries momentum. Got a little work done, got cleaned up, and, and has to miss spring ball because of that. But as James Franklin says, you're willing to sacrifice spring practice for team veterans if it means they're going into preseason camp at 100%. And it sounds like they're getting that with Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. And whereas Theo Johnson really went out and had that six, seven-game span guys last year where he put it all on the table and says, this is who I can be as a tight end. This is where I'm going as a tight end. I think we're all curious if Tyler Warren is going to serve up that kind of a streak on the football field. He's had his moments. A big thing that I know Ty Howell told you today, Daniel, was that that they see some Brenton Strange versatility here, a guy who can line up in different areas on the field, who can get it done as a blocker. They think he's going to come down with every ball that comes his way, 50-50 ball kind of a player. Um, and, and that all sounds great. Uh, we've seen him as a short yardage rusher, even at the goal line in the past in 2021. He but can Mark, throw it. <laughs> and yeah, and he can throw it. We've talked about it a ton as a high school quarterback. Maybe this is the guy. I know you 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 said that Theo Johnson could be flying on the radar. I'd say Tyler Warren. Outside Happy Valley, a lot of people don't know much about this guy, and he seems like to me a ticking time bomb. We're running a little bit of short on time with him at year four now, but this could be the moment he goes off. And if he doesn't, I think there's talent in that tight end room to push him further. 
Yeah, I think that Tyler Warren can really, I think it was going to happen last year, but, you know, being banged up and being limited might have, you know, uh, made that a little bit more difficult. But I think this year he can really officially graduate uh, from being that gadget player, um, where I think he got a little bit pigeonholed um, over the course of the 2021 season. You know, he did really tease some of his receiving ability last year. He had that big, long touchdown catch against Minnesota. Um, You know, he's a ton of fun to watch in the red zone um, with with what he's able to do. But, you know, Ty Howe did say that um, he is someone that has flexibility uh, in what he's able to do. Um, I did ask Ty Howe what the strength of the room overall was, and he said flexibility, guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, But I think that in with Brenton Strange leaving, he was such a unique player with what he did for Penn State last year, how they used him, how they lined him up. You know, Ty Howell said that everybody uh, in the tight end room gets trained to do that. Um, but I think that that kind of role is maybe something that Tyler Warren um, could could really thrive in um, this year. You know, we've seen that he's a, a willing blocker. Um, he's really tough, hard nosed. Uh, Ty Howell brought up his football IQ today, former high school quarterback, uh, as Mark said. So he's someone that can really, really make some things happen. Um, and I think that. Yeah, I mean, you know, if Tyler, if Theo Johnson is a little under the radar, I mean, I don't know if Tyler Warren's underground, underwater, uh, when it when it comes to attention on him. But that's going to be a really fun room. You know, I'm excited to go back through um, with what I talked to Ty Howell about today. Uh, you know, flesh it out in some stories and really kind of paint this picture for you know, figure out what we're going to have, what we're going to see at that position come August. And over at lines247.com, we have a full thread right now with our updates. And as we continue to work our way through, and we, we had uh, either microphones or, or, or we had cameras and we had phones at all different places with these assistant coaches and coordinators. So got to give us a little bit of time to go through some transcribing as we're just settling in here on Thursday. Uh, but a lot coming your way at lines247.com. So we're giving you what we've got to this point. And Mark, it, it, that tight end room clearly has the makings of a potentially special group. And you can apply that, it sounds like, to the defensive tackle position where it has gone from maybe a concern slash question mark in the aftermath of PJ Mustafer's departure uh, to now James Franklin taking time. No question was asked. Our good friend Elton Hayes asked the question on an entirely different subject to close out today's media session. And before James Franklin stepped aside, he said, but wait, there's more. Let me tell you about this defensive tackle group. Devon Elise, he really highlighted. Hakeem Beeman, he highlighted. Talking about sophomore uh, Zane Durant in there. And just overall, the depth he said stood out. And he thinks this could take the defensive unit as a whole to an entirely different level. Mark, what did you make of that? Because James Franklin, normally tight left. I mean, you got to pry information out of him when it comes to praise on position groups. And this one, he went out of his way to put the spotlight on. Well, I think sometimes he sees, sees narratives being established and, mm-hmm. and thinks that people aren't necessarily getting enough credit. And this was one where he, he kind of, when Elton asked the question, uh, which was a good question, uh, I think Franklin, it clicked with him that, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention one group of players. But you know, I'm so glad that he mentioned Devon Ellis because if you remember, we, we did a pod last week. I went through all the D tackles and I forgot Devon. I mean, that was just so yeah. stupid. And I eventually remembered it because – what did I say? I mean, he's such a dynamic guy, and he you you can see where he will be an outgoing leader 
uh, of that group. Kasai Izzard is, is going to be back and, and in good shape. And then another guy that you mentioned last week, and Chuck Losey, the strength coach, mentioned him as being a guy who has really, really stepped up and is about to come into his own is, is Jordan Vandenberg. Um, mm-hmm. he, he said, I mean, he was really high on him. And when Chuck Losey talks about you, you know, that, that means that you're getting the job done in the weight room and doing all the things that you need to do. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're going from an area that really there were some question marks about that I think as guys get healthier and get a little bigger. And Franklin also went out of his way to say, say Hakeem Beeman is bigger than he's ever been. And we, I put up a picture from uh, Hershey last week of Zane Durant and you could tell Zane Durant's as big as he's ever been. And, and all of a sudden, you, you're looking, it's looking as if maybe this isn't going to be a liability, but it could be another area of strength. And then you surround it with those DNs. And Chuck Losey was really, he said, you know, three of the guys who are ready to perform at an elite level, obviously, are uh, Chop, Adisa Isaac, and Denai Dennis Sutton. So you have them. And then Franklin ended it by saying, well, last year, linebacker was a big question mark and now all of a sudden nearly all those guys are coming back and really for practical purposes all of your best guys are coming back that's not a knock on Jonathan Jonathan Sutherland but I think he really made his bones on special teams Uh, so now you look at that front seven and we know what they have on on the back end Uh, it's just looking more and more stout uh, the closer you look at it. And those were the two other additions uh, already on the roster, but guys are getting back on the practice field you didn't have in the spring, hitting the, the front seven. Koziah Izzard at defensive tackle. I've talked about it before. He missed the first month of last season. We don't know why he missed that month. Uh, he came back. Smith Wilbert did not. And, and from that point on, he was entrenched as a really important piece of defensive tackle for this team. Don't overlook him. He was he was out of sight during uh, spring ball, but we did see him occasionally out there supporting his teammates. Curious to, to see how he fits in as he returns to this rotation. And then, as you mentioned, the linebacker, you don't lose much at all. And Tyler Elson all of a sudden goes from one of those question marks last year to, at this point, at least a known commodity, someone who's been through the Big Ten rigors and a guy who understands what it's like as you go through those matchups week to week. And we don't know if Tyler Elson is going to take this starting job and really run with it and dis- distance himself this year or if he'll lose ground in the process and Kobe King takes a step forward. But that's a competition that bears monitoring Tamir Robinson because of Elsden's uh, absence on the field this spring as a freshman. I think he got more run with the second team than we really anticipated. That included the blue-white game, so that should benefit him. But you're still looking at really the redshirt junior here in, in Tyler Elsden, the redshirt sophomore in Kobe King. And then, as I said, Kaziah Izzard coming back to defensive tackle. I think that gives you really six names you can, you can run down and say – this person can contribute on September 2nd against West Virginia. And there's yeah. not a lot of programs across the country that can do that inside of defense. Yeah. And one other guy that I think we have to throw out there now is Smith Vilbert. I mean, he mm-hmm. looks like he's back and fully entrenched with the team. I don't know that he ever was not entrenched with the team, but we just didn't see him until, in, until the bowl game. Uh, but this is a guy, I know we keep going back to the, the bowl game a couple of years ago where he played so well, but if you have that guy functioning at functioning at a high level, and he was on the Hershey trip. We saw him outside of Lash going into Lash today. He, I mean, it looks like he was joking around with reporters and stuff. I mean, it looks like he's back as, as it, you know, you would hope for his sake. Uh, but we were really wondering, is this a guy who will even be with the team? And, you know, here he is, and he's a guy who, on top of those DNs that we mentioned, 
is obviously a guy, obviously a guy with experience uh, who can get some things done. And we haven't even thrown out an Amin Vanover and some of these other players who Zariah you know, Fisher, yeah, who have performed yeah. well when, when given an opportunity. And that that comes back to another thing that James Franklin said that they're as deep now as as his Penn State teams have ever been. And that would be as any of his head coaching teams have ever been, because I don't think Vanderbilt was probably, you know, especially deep with this level of talent. But I think it speaks to the way they've been able to pile one really good recruiting class on top of another and the work they've done in the transfer portal. Well, I I do want to jump into a, a few more things here, but I, I think in terms of position coaches, um, just just quickly getting into the two that I spoke to face to face, and then I'll I'll pass the torch over to you, Daniel, as as we go a little rapid fire here. Spoke with Phil Troutwine, the offensive line coach. Obviously, completely different uh, situation around his group versus where it was this time last year. Uh, proved a lot in the field last year. The prospects continue to come on the recruiting pipeline, but just focused in on what they've got going. You mentioned how, how some of the eyeball testing you did at the at the hospital recently, and just seeing guys around. Drew Shelton, when he when I saw him on the practice field last Sunday, yeah. man, he all of a sudden looks like he's uh, you know a twenty two year old Big Ten veteran. He showed up here when we saw him last summer walking around as as a freshly enrolled lineman. I mean, he looked like a basketball forward. There wasn't a lot of, of meat on the bones yet. He's now logged at 300 pounds on, on this roster. And Phil Troutwine says he's essentially getting 10 reps to every five um, right tackle versus left tackle. They're trying to get that learning curve behind him. Uh, competing against Caden Wallace, it, it's a situation that we talked about, too. Starting caliber, experienced lineman here. One of them's going to have to sit. Maybe you see a rotation in play. But but Troutwine went you know, to, a little bit further down the tackle spot, and I thought it was interesting. He brought in Javen Williams into the conversation, and he says Javen Williams has and they have every opportunity to seize that number four tackle job. And last year that was Drew Shelton. It meant he was waiting in the wings. It meant he was going to play four games in redshirt until it didn't, right? And then he was your starter for the final five games. So it sounds like they are going into this summer feeling like Javen Williams, five-star prospect on 24-7 sports uh, rankings this past cycle, is a guy who can be a factor for them in game day situations at the tackle spot. Alex Birchmeyer was another top 100 prospect on the offensive line. We saw him play predominantly at right tackle on the field this spring. We're going to see more of him at guard going into the fall camp. Chimney Ono comes in as a top 20 four seven tackle prospect they're gonna get it, feed him reps in his first semester and Alex Birchmeyer they feels like a five position kind of guy and just speaking of versatility before I throw it to you Daniel uh Phil Troutwine really spoke highly of JB Nelson a year two guy out of Lackawanna uh, you haven't necessarily seen that success on the offensive line to this point certainly the safety set a high bar out of Lackawanna but this is an offensive lineman to watch from that JUCO program because last year we saw him play uh, some extended reps in a couple matchups because of injuries at the guard spot. He, he, he's, he could play some tackle, but guard is going to be his home for the most part. And Phil Troutwine says he's going to probably play a significant role week to week. So, again, I, I'm getting the sense here, guys, that rotation is going to be in play come September. I think we saw, what, two set it like two uh, scheduled rotations last year, left guard, Hunter Norzad, Landon Tengwall week one, and then right tackle between Caden Wallace and Bryce Eftner. I think that we're going to see seven, maybe even eight guys involved when they play West Virginia by design, and then we'll see how it works out from there. So th there's me signing off with my position uh, coach report. We'll have a lot more uh, at the message board. I I'd love to get into more on what Jaywan Sider told me, especially about some of these freshmen. I'll save it for our VIP subscribers for now because we got to get to Tyler Calvaruso on some recruiting. But, Daniel, what did you hear that stood out to you? I know that you, you spoke to a few position coaches as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll save Anthony Poindexter for the VIP subscribers uh, on 
the board, but I spent some time talking to Marcus Hagens, uh, which is a, a pretty interesting room um, at where the wide receiver picture is right now. Um, you know, coming out of spring, James Franklin said that the, the top two were pretty entrenched with Keandre Lambert Smith and Trey Wallace. And then, Omari he Evans. named names today, guys. He named he, names. He did. <laughs> and then Omari Evans, you know, shook things up a little bit and you know made a little bit of a push for that three spot. Then it was everybody else. And I asked Marcus Hagens, you know, what he made of that assessment, and he said, "Yeah, <laughs> he said he's right. Uh, that that's what it is." But I talked to him a little bit about Dante Cephas. Um, you know, he said that he is someone who has come into the room. Um, has kind of known what he needs to do, has meshed very well with his teammates, um, and is someone who can maybe shake up this pecking order a little bit um, with where he was before. Um, I think both James Franklin and Marcus Higgins had good things to say about Caden Saunders um, in terms of where he is now versus where he you know, was even at the beginning of spring ball, um, that he has really made strides. I think that he is someone who, as a former top 100 recruit you know we know the kind of uh you know lineage that he has you know, his pedigree um what the expectations were i think that he might be in position to begin to meet them um and then i thought another name that came up that was interesting is, is liam clifford um that was james franklin brought him up um and marcus hagan's brought him up too you know hagan said that clifford is someone who has really it really helps lead the room um that you know we know how kind of young of a room it is um, he's going to be Clifford's going to be a third year player this year, I think. Um, and so he is someone who has taken on a leadership role as someone that that guys can you know look to. Um, and I think Franklin said it where Franklin was like, yeah, he's someone you guys don't really talk about that much. Um, and so I, I think that Clifford he's a little bit of a bigger wide receiver in that room. Um, who can play. I think we saw him working in the slot at times last year. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. <laughs> I mean, you know, where we are right now, June 8th, you know, I think you can kind of, I think the addition of Cephas adds a little bit of clarity um, if he can stay at a similar level to what he was at at Kent State. But that's going to be a really fun competition. It's going to be really interesting to see who's going to get a shot in what spots, um, how that depth chart kind of, you know, uh, evolves over the course of the year. Um, but I think Marcus Higgins is, you know, excited for this room. And I think that he's seen a, a group of guys that he said that they're eager, um, that I think that they know what's being said about them. Um, you know, they know how Franklin kind of challenged them at the end of spring ball. They've embraced that. And uh, I think that eager was a really good word uh, to use to describe them. Franklin pretty much refused until the blue white game to go beyond the top two wide receivers when asked about them. And, and that was week to week to week in March and April. This time he named so many names that he admitted he probably got himself in trouble because he, he, if you name enough names then you have to name them all or mom and dad get mad or the player get mad. So he named that many wide receivers. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. It, Caden Saunders got the couple references there. We're always looking for, for indications of where he is as a former top 100 prospect coming to campus last year. And then Anthony Ivy got some love for just calling him uh, his natural ability as a receiver. And, and Ivy's a guy I've been very curious to see. He's been kind of tucked away behind the scenes, uh, get a longer look at him in year two. Uh, Mark, you got to kind of you know, situate yourself with Manny Diaz, which is an enviable p- situation yeah. for any college football reporter. 
Um, I, I know that you're going to have a ton of content from that up on the site. And I'd imagine some video too, but bullet point it for us. What, what, what stood out from our, from the conversation with Penn State's defensive coordinator? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I always like to talk to him about Abdul Carter because I think we all see, you know, a special talented player and the key, the best coaches can take those players and get even more out of them. And, you know, I think we referenced this uh, before uh, when we talked to Manny in the spring. But, you know, one of the keys is really going to be um, just having a better understanding of the entire defense and what the offense is trying to do. But then he brought up something else that I thought was pretty cool. He said the best players aren't just good themselves. They make everybody around them better. And I think that's what you're looking at from Abdul Carter. You're looking at that sort of talent that somebody who can impact the game in so many different ways that he's going to make the other players around him better, whether that's the defensive lineman because uh, the, the the opposing offense has to focus so much on him, you know, whether that's the defensive backs because of what he's able to do rushing the passer, you know, all those different things. You know, I also touched base and said, you know, is, is this a guy who you would feel comfortable playing at multiple spots? And he said at times last year they did. Obviously in the Prowler package, they kind of moved him, you know, more inside or on the edge. They could put him just about any, anywhere. But, you know, he, he had a really good uh, analogy and it was like, if you're a great baseball pitcher, you do one thing great. And, and you want to really focus on that and then do everything else good. So if you try to, to be a pitcher who has a great fastball and try to be a pitcher then who has a great breaking ball, you're probably one or the other is going to suffer. But if you focus in on that one thing and then just be good, get good enough or just improve and improve at those other spots. And I think what he was getting at is we'll still see Abdul primarily at the will uh, and being a great player at that position. But if you need him elsewhere, you're going to be able to do that. And then obviously the guy that we talked so much about, uh, Tony Rojas in the spring, uh, it was pretty funny because I asked Chuck Losey, you know, I said, he kind of looks like a different person. He goes, oh, he is a different person. <laughs> he was 195 pounds. And as of the, the last couple of days, he weighed 229. But the key with Rojas, he said, is that there are a lot of guys who, who can come in in that first couple months and put on weight. But then you get into the grind of spring practice, especially with the number of reps that Rojas was taking. And you, 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 it's very difficult to maintain that weight. And, and that wasn't an issue with him. So in talking to Manny about him, they, he said it didn't matter what weight he came, he came in at. They knew what he could do. They saw him running around on the field in high school and, and realized that he is going to be a very good player. He said he thought – Manny thought that Rojas was one of the best linebackers in the nation uh, last year, one of the best high school linebackers in the nation. And they felt that highly about him. And that, that tells you, you know, something when, when Manny Diaz is saying that now he said, did I know he was going to be able to get up to 229, 230 this quickly? He said, I didn't, he wasn't really worried about it, but that's just kind of icing uh, on the cake, so to speak. And then the one last guy that I asked, well, I asked him about a lot of guys, but you know, Kalen King is kind of flying under the radar here, man. And I know that's tough to say for a guy who's projecting in mock drafts, but you don't just, you don't get a lot of questions about him. And I, and I said, you know, Manny, when you look at Kalen, what makes him such a good player? And I asked, uh, 
Uh, I asked Chuck the same thing, and I asked Harry Smith the same thing. But and, and and I'll do a story on it. But you know, in short, you know, Manny said they don't necessarily have to pro- have all these you know great numbers and whatever. But he's just cerebral, and he knows where to be, and he's just a super smart, intelligent football player. And then he said something that was really cool. He said, with most defensive backs, the quarterbacks have to worry that they're going to throw the ball to a receiver. And the worst case scenario is the defensive back's going to knock it down. He said, with Kalen, the difference is he's a guy who was good enough that he's going to catch it and go the other way. So that adds a whole different dimension to how effective he is. And I think when you're hearing all these things about why the pro scouts love him, I think, you know, those are some of the things when you get to pick Manny Diaz's brain and hear from him, he has a great understanding. So those are just a few things. I know I went on a little bit there, but with that guy, I mean, seriously, he can explain football to you in a way that even dummies like me can understand, you know, what he's saying. I know a lot of the people in this business think they're coaches. We're not. We're reporters. Uh, but he did a great job. And I also want to give a shout out to Franklin. People, he explained why Drew Aller is so different and, and why he is so dangerous to opposing defenses. The video is on our front page. And I am just telling you, it is like sitting at a clinic, you know, learning from a coach. And, I, I'm, and I'm not saying that, you know, blowing smoke, you know, for Franklin. I, that, fr- sometimes in the middle of these things, they're going on and it's hard to absorb it all. And Tyler, you texted us and said, wow, that Franklin stuff after the fact. And I'm like, geez, I got to go back and look at it. And I looked at it. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he explained it like at a at a mm-hmm. level of, of why this guy is so effective. And I'm not going to ruin it. Watch the video. It is worth watching. And you will have a better appreciation for, for Drew Aller and why he's so good. And just just to give a quick summation of that, what and what's that to me, and 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 just a bite size of what Franklin said, because it was what two minutes plus three minutes. I don't know how long he went on about Drew. Oh, it was, it was but, like three and a half minutes. Yeah, I think yeah, it was incredible. I, I think it was four. I, yeah. I saw wow. I saw Rich Scarcella who asked it at Wegman's uh, after, and he said, "I got a great four minute sixteen second answer off that one." Well, there you, there you go. What's that to me was that that he says the main he maintains composure through the chaos. And because of the guy that you just talked about, Manny Diaz, and because of the long list of playmakers he's got on that side of the ball, I can assure you he has seen plenty of chaos in his year on campus. He'll see more in preseason camp. But something like that, a statement like that, and and he's still got to get through a, a full schedule as a starting quarterback. But just seeing that kind of, a, I guess, a hallmark as a young quarterback is vitally important, and it just does not come – automatically with with any young quarterback whether you're a five-star three-star what have you in between um if you enjoyed this part of the conversation this is like maybe eight percent of what we're gonna have in in our grab bag from our visit to lash bash and and we will be spreading the love all over lines 247.com we'll have a dedicated thread to our updates uh, as we work our way through all this information but it's going to be an awesome way to really launch into summer i think for us for a lot of fans out there and while we had, what, 25-plus recruiting-related stories that were VIP coming out of last weekend between the official visits and prospect camp, Mark, I'll just set the stage for here. We're also going to be piling up football-related VIP content between now and when this season starts. And just another reminder, I'll put it up on a tee for you, our 60% off deal going on at the moment at lines247.com through June 15th. 
Yeah, I mean, it, listen, Andy Frank, the recruiting coordinator, and that's not his title. He has some highfalutin title. General but, manager of personnel and recruitment. Yeah. There you go. But, so he was available too, and he talked about the recruiting crush. And, and he, you know, he said that if you were to drop somebody from the real world into the middle of it, you know, your, your mind would be blown. And we are – we're not in the middle of it on their end, but we're in the middle of it in terms of coverage, in terms of covering the camps, in terms of Tyler Calabruzzo and Doan and, and everybody else. There is so much premium content. And I'm just telling you, if you're ever wondering about it, now is a great time to dive in. It's 60% off our annual rate. And listen, I'm just telling people that – a lot of people wonder, should I get an annual plan? Anybody who gets a monthly plan – 95%, I don't know what the exact number is, but the vast, vast, vast majority of those people just keep re-upping and re-upping and re-upping and re-upping. Get in at 60% off for the year. It comes out to less than five bucks a month, and it's a good deal. And I'm just saying, look at the content. I could sit here and explain it to you all, all day, but check the VIP content and then check the discussion on the message board and then check out uh, the, the, not just the experts, but our community and what they have to say at the VIP level, all of it's really worth that money if you're a hardcore Penn State fan and really love recruiting and insider stuff. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Let's shift gears now and, and talk about the schedule uh, announcement that came out from the Big Ten just as we were kind of gathering notes for this podcast. We anticipated it. We knew it was going to be part of the conversation. We needed to spend a solid half hour breaking down what we experienced in the Lash building. But, Daniel, you had the story, 2024-2025, uh, big changes on the horizon for the Big Ten Conference. It's expanding out to the West Coast. UCLA, USC coming on board. Uh, so there's there's a lot to dissect with this announcement. Where do you want to start? And you can take it wherever you'd like, sir. Yeah, I mean, the the leaders and the legends feel a long, long time ago Whoa, yeah. uh, Look, looking at uh, this, this schedule. But yeah, I'll just say that I think my initial reaction, and I think we talked about this a little bit today and in, in, in my head, how I kind of thought that this might be is that I think it's going to be really good uh, for competitive balance or at least better you know divisions don't exist anymore um, the big 10 championship game will be played between you know who finishes number one who finishes number two um, I think that's a the one really big change uh, that is easy to see uh, on paper with the addition of UCLA and USC going to 16 teams um, you know I think that the the formula um, I think it makes sense. Um, the protected rivalries part of it. It is interesting that Penn State doesn't end up uh, with one, but I think that beyond that, the fact that they're only doing this for two years, um, it's two-year cycles uh, in terms of the the opponents that they're locked in to play home and homes with. Um, you know, the the other opponents are going to cycle through. So I think over you know four-year span, you're going to play everyone home and away. Uh, I believe is my understanding to it. Um, and I think that they've given themselves, you know, I think part of it, the ulterior motive between some of this is, are they going to go to 18 teams? Are they going to go to 20 teams? I think that this leaves them um, with a little bit of flexibility there. But, you know, I remember being a student reporter at Maryland in 2013 and we were in a meeting in Randy Edsel's office and he gave us a piece of paper that had Maryland's big 10 schedule uh, through, I think, 2020, maybe, maybe, maybe even 2022, like whatever it was, it was absurdly, uh, you know, far in advance. And as we saw with COVID and as we saw and as we've seen after COVID, you have to make all these changes 
you know, the, the landscape changes, you're adding these Friday night games, you're moving games to Thursdays to open the season. Um, I think that for the big 10, the kind of, you know, take a step back from that kind of grand vision um, and look a little bit, you know, more in the immediate future and, you know, what's working now, what are we going to need to change in a couple of years? Um, I think that that's a, that's a good approach, but, you know, I think that's going to help with the competitive balance, uh, especially for a team like Penn state that was in the East division. But I also think that it's going to be, it could be a little feast or famine uh, when it comes to the home slates. Um, And I think that, you know, looking at what Penn state has in 2024, um, at home, you get Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State, USC. I think that's a pretty fun home slate. The road games are going to be Indiana, Purdue, Rutgers, and Wisconsin. In 2025, home slate, Illinois, Minnesota, Rutgers, UCLA, which that's intriguing there in the last one. Uh, and then on the road against Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, and USC. And that could end up being a decently tough, uh, tough road slate, depending on how things go. Um, but you know, I think that it's, you know, I think the big 10 needed to do something different, uh, given how things were, I think getting rid of divisions definitely helps Penn state. Um, I think that, you know, not having a protected rival, you know, that means that you're not going to have Ohio state or Michigan or even Michigan state with the land grant trophy, or Maryland or Rutgers, which were two teams that were thrown out there as uh, candidates to be that, you know, protected team. You know, I think it's fine um, if you don't have that. Um, You know, I think that you'll work your way through the conference. It's not going to be like the SEC schedule where it's like teams have only played each other once in 11 years. Um, So, yeah, I think that overall the Big Ten needed to do something. Um, There's always unintended consequences uh, with the way that these things go. I think one of those might be the 2025 Penn State home slate. Um, But I think that (laughs) Penn State is well positioned to, um, you know, use these use these schedules to their advantage. Um, You know, it's the Big Ten. It's going to be tough kind of no matter which way you slice it. Um, But I think that you have some clarity and um, you you can kind of say what you want about the formula (laughs) and some of the, the terms used in it. But I think that it's good that the Big Ten is going to be cycling these teams through so they play each other more often um, and that they have some more unique matchups. But yeah, the one that jumps off the bat right away, USC coming to uh, Beaver Stadium in 2024 and then Penn State going to the LA Coliseum in 2025. Um, I think that that's really fun to have on the schedule right off the bat with USC and UCLA coming in. Yeah, totally different uh, totally different realm we're entering here. We're going to see Texas and Oklahoma popping up on the SEC schedules. It's going to be uh, wild stuff all around. Um, look, we, we talked about it before we recorded, but this is validation, I guess, for that hashtag on rivaled brand uh, <laughs> that Penn State likes to build itself as. They, they, they're the only team in the Big Ten that doesn't get one uh, attached to them. Uh, but, Mark, I mean, look, things are going to be changing. There's not going to be any more land grant trophy at stake every season. Uh, that, that beautiful beast will have to spend some years locked away. Uh, my my every other year year pilgrimage to to Piscataway is off the table. I'm going to have to find a, another way to indulge in my favorite crappy food from Piscataway, New Jersey. What stands out to you about what changes loom on the horizon? You know, I reached out to Ryan Abraham, the publisher of uh, USCFootball.com, who I've known for a long time. Uh, we used to do NFL Network stuff way, way back in the day. 
And uh, I said, man, this is real. Like, this is real now. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. he's like, whoa, yeah. Because, because it's like, uh, yeah, you know, because I, I caught wind that, that they were probably going to be playing USC. And I'm like, yeah, you know, before the announcement came out, I'm like, Ryan, I think you're going to be out here. And, you know, you and your, your staff going to be traveling out here next year. Then I'll be out there. Uh, the I'm bring a jacket, Mark. Make sure they bring a, a jacket. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Big so, Ten country. His first question is like, "How far are you guys from Pittsburgh?" Like everybody always, everybody thinks we're close <laughs> to one of those cities. You know, like, well, how far are you from Sacramento? But uh, no, I mean that, that's the my, my that's my first thing. And then the other cool thing is, you know, UCLA coming here. It, as bad as that uh, home schedule in 2025 looks like, I reached out to Tracy Pearson of the UCLA site and said. I, I think you could probably almost already stamp that UCLA game in 25 as the whiteout, right? I mean, I think it was, as you look at that. So, you know, th those parts of it are, are cool. Uh, I, I've always had a long-running joke because my late great friend Pat Boland always loved overblowing uh, the Langrand trophy. But, but seriously, was that ever really a rivalry? No, it wasn't really ever a, a great rivalry. So when they dust it out, we'll still have fun with the LGT. And, you know, just because I was wondering, I reached out through 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 to one of Pat Kraft's, uh, you know, to, to the, the, uh, Chris Peterson, who uh, handles his media requests. And I said, can we get a, a, a comment from Pat on why Penn State doesn't have a protected rivalry? And, and I got back. And I think this is fair to say. I don't think I'm breaking any confidences. You know, we don't have any comment. I, I recommend you reach out to the Big Ten. And I, I sent back I, – I said, I cannot believe Pat Kraft has no comment on any subject, <laughs> jokingly, tongue-in-cheek, uh, but I get where they're coming from. So it is – that part of it's a little bit weird that they didn't find somebody, uh, but I do like the flexibility that it gives Penn State moving forward. And yeah. so, that you know, that, that you, do, do you want to have a protected rivalry with, you know, one of these two guys' alma mater? You know, the Rutgers, or the, are we all on the same panels? If I'm doing that, it's going to look stupid if I'm in a different panel for somebody. Uh, but, but no, in all seriousness, and with all due respect, which means no due respect to Rutgers and Maryland, football, um, I do think it's going to allow for some flexibility. And again, I just go back to the point that this is all real now. I mean, we heard about it. We knew it was coming. Uh, you got to meet Casey Cosgrove, one of our network people, who's a the diehard Trojan fan. When we were out at the Rose Bowl, uh, he's a, he's one of our tech people, and I'm like, Casey, are you coming out? I mean, it's like th this is going to be here before you know it, and I think it's just going to be a lot of fun, and you know, it's going to be new stuff to see, and and I'm looking forward to it. I I like it overall, and I think it's going to be good for Penn State. I think it's going to be good for the Big Ten. It's going to be tough travel for those teams from the West Coast. I already went to the USC site and somebody was saying, well, you know, shouldn't USC be playing Nebraska because it's like half the distance from USC to Nebraska than it is from, from USC to, 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 to state college. And so there people are still wondering about the whole travel dynamic, which for them, it's going to be really tough. It's almost like when Penn state first joined the big 10 and it was the school on the outer limits. Now, geez, outer limits are a whole different thing. Well, I'll tell you what, get comfortable with, with this whole new Big Ten dynamic and, and the wide open scenario and this independent flair that Penn State has to it. And then buckle up because the 12-team playoff is coming and that's going to bring a whole new world of matchups yeah. potentially for Penn State if they have their way. Uh, 
it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a lot of exciting matchups to cover. I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys are too. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, one of the more urgent uh, matters here in June 2023, if you ask anybody who works within Penn State Athletic Department, is NIL. And, Mark, we, we saw an announcement uh, around 3 p.m. this afternoon, one that we had anticipated regarding the merge of the two big players thus far on the Penn State NIL landscape Naturally, there's going to be some questions about how these two groups embrace one another and how they form a new identity together. But what have you gathered from this and, and what do you make of this move and the timing of it? I want to choose my words carefully, but I think there are a lot of really well-intentioned people involved with both groups and a lot of people who are willing to invest a lot of money. And I think they want to keep everybody happy, which I think is is a good thing. Um, I just, it's going to be key to have the right leadership in there because we saw, uh, you know, a couple months ago, there was some sniping going back and forth between different people and they just have to get past that. And to me, I think everybody just got to, has to kind of band together and, and, and you, you have to realize that if football isn't really taken care of on the NIL front, the trickle down is going to be that it's going to impact all of the other sports, uh, all the other non-revenue sports uh, in a negative way. And I think that's just a reality. You can't treat all 30 whatever sports the same way. Does that mean that all, all of the sports don't deserve to have NIL opportunities? No, every sport deserves to have NIL opportunities, but you better have everything straight with football first and foremost so that program is able to carry the load that it has to carry, which is essentially paying for every other sport in the athletic department outside of, of men's hoops and, and to a lesser extent hockey, which I think is sort of in doubt. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's key – and I hope everybody's like Franklin said when he first got here, pulling that rope in the same direction. Uh, I am a little bit troubled by the fact that they come out with this announcement at the time that they did. It's like, could you have picked a worse spot to 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 to, to, to have it fly under the radar after you have all the coaches available? You know, this Big Ten announcement's coming out now. Hoops, they didn't know that was going to happen, but you know, gets a big transfer, and you know, this thing disappeared almost immediately. So regardless of the publicity of the thing, I want to reiterate, there are a lot of well, well-intentioned, good-hearted people who have Penn State sports. Um, it's what they care about the most. And just to get all those people together, pulling the rope in the same direction, I think is really cool for this new group. I hope they're able to, to, to pull it off because that'll be good for Penn State sports, which is good for us being able to cover Penn State sports. There was Lions Legacy Club. There was success with honor. Now there is Happy Valley United, um, and, and that's where things stand. We'll work on this. We'll have some more conversations here on the podcast, maybe get some intel from people who are involved within that structure to get a kind of a good understanding of what their plan is moving forward, maybe how it was different than what has preceded this point, because obviously a very pressing issue across the college athletics standpoint. We're seeing it uh, you know, front and center at times in Washington, D.C. now as well. So, uh, fellas, I, I want to wrap up here before we get to Tyler Calvaruso with a bit of basketball news. As you referenced there, Mark Brennan, uh, Penn State basketball picks up a transfer here on a Thursday. It is DeMarco Dunn out of North Carolina. He's been a name that's been mentioned for a few weeks now in Penn State's efforts to continue building their roster. Tyler Calvaruso's had a few updates along the way. He chooses Penn State. 
He rounds out the 2023-2024 Penn State roster. People said it couldn't be done a couple months ago. It has happened. <laughs> Daniel, let's begin with this uh, edition of done, and then we'll work our way to bigger roster impact. But what are we talking about individually here with this edition? Yeah, the DeMarco Dunn comes over from North Carolina, uh, where he was really buried on the bench uh, with how that, that rotation was managed uh, this year. He averaged 2.7 points per game, less than one rebound per game, less than an assist per game. Um, but I think that he is the type of player where his talent and his potential really outweighs uh, his production. He'll be coming in as a junior with two years of eligibility remaining. Uh, he was listed at six foot five. 190 um, on the North Carolina roster last year. You know, that seems to fit with the profile um, of the guards that uh, Mike Rhodes has brought in so far and with what Penn State uh, is returning. You know, you got guys like Nick Kern Jr., who's six foot six, Jameel Brown is six four, uh, Braggy Goodmanson, uh, the Icelandic freshman, is six five. Um, you know, you've got six eight front court players like Zach Hicks and Puff Johnson. Um, I think that DeMarco Dunn fits in physically uh, with what Penn State has been looking for. Um, you know, he was a he was a top 100 recruit in 24/7 Sports, um, you know, a four-star prospect, you know, number four in North Carolina, number 90 overall. Um, it's you know evident that things didn't really work out uh, for him at North Carolina. Um, so I think that you know you want to bring him in. He's going to have the opportunity to compete for more playing time. And then you can maybe see how that talent blossoms uh, a little bit. And when you talk about how Penn State has, you know, approached the transfer portal, it's another, it's a similar type of, of player that they've looked for, um, you know, on the younger end with eligibility remaining, um, who has the potential to really, you know, step up, who has a recruiting pedigree. So um, I think I'm, I'm very intrigued by DeMarco Dunn based on the response from our board. I think a lot of people are really, really excited about him uh, and what he can bring. Um, excuse me. And I think that he just puts the, the Penn state roster in a really, really good spot right now. Dunn and Puff Johnson coming by way of transfer from North Carolina, each of them, former top 100 prospects They usually have plenty of those down with the Tar Heels, but, uh, Penn state now getting them on the next phase of their career. And Mark, I mean, Daniel is going to have a really good recap of Alliance247.com about where this roster is right now. Um, I know you tweeted something about that as well, Daniel, but, Mark, you assign grades after every Penn State football game, and, and it's it's very highly clicked on, and people like to look at them. I'm curious what kind of a grade you would assign to Mike Rhodes' roster build here in the last couple of months. And again, we're talking about from where they were, point A. I mean, people were really wondering if they were going to be going to the local YMCA. It wasn't going to happen. It was never going to happen. But there were people, you checked social media echo chamber at times, there were some red flags being waved. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, I think people have to realize this is kind of the new normal. And when it, when coaching changes happen, you know, this is what's going to happen. So I don't think you could give them an A only because, you know, I, I think that that has to be reserved for the people who are pulling in, you know, the All-American type players, the Hunter Dickinsons. I mean, th those type of players. But I, I think where he was or given where the program was, to be able to put together this kind of roster, I think really, you know, really says something. So I think it's got to be a B plus, you know, people look at uh, some of these kids who maybe didn't play a whole lot at North Carolina. Listen, Carolina was not very good last year, but that program was in the final four, two years ago. I mean, this is a blue blood program and it, it's, 
I don't want to say it's okay that somebody wasn't playing a lot, but it's a little different than if this kid wasn't getting minutes and he was also banged up, uh, you know, last December, but it's a little different if he had been, you know, on a bench player at, a, you know, a, a mid-major program. So I think getting Ace Baldwin, to me, that was an A-plus just because you have a guy who knows the program or who knows the system. I'm sorry, that's a better way of putting it, uh, and is a natural leader, and I think people will kind of kind of gravitate around. Uh, but giving them an A, I think, would be too much. But given where they were, I think a B-plus to put together an entire roster – I think it absolutely says something. We t- had a chance to talk to Mike Rhodes last week at Coaches versus Cancer. He, I am just telling you, he is chomping at the bit to get everybody here later in June so they can start really getting after this because they spent so much time and effort getting all these players onto the roster. I think the kid from Iceland is the only one who won't be here until a little bit later in the summer because he has some international option or uh, responsibilities to take care of. Um but you know, I was asked. I was talking to him about, boy, it'd be good to get get together, have some interviews. You know, at some point, he goes, "Yeah, we got to get the players here. I need to get the players here to start working with them." You know, this is just BSing, and I completely get that. That'll make more sense to do interviews with him once the kids are on campus and he has a better feel for what they're all about. But I think just the fact that he was, he was able to build this roster, uh, I think, says something. So I give it a B plus. All right, gentlemen, we've got to jump into some recruiting conversation. We've gone nearly an hour here with the two of you. A, a lot of heavy lifting today uh, at lions247.com. I'll see you both on the practice field for camp on Sunday. All right, keep Calvaruso in check. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. I'll do my best. See you guys. All right, let's bring him in now. Tyler Calvaruso, our recruiting insider at lions247.com. How you doing, Tyler? I'm doing well. Clearly, you got to keep me in check today. So, you know, that's a pretty tall task for you. <laughs> hey man, I'm just trying to keep the, the. There's a lot of balls in the air right now. We're just trying to juggle them all here on a Thursday. Crazy day. day. Trying to keep my eye on 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 maybe more breaking news during our commitment, but or during during our conversation. Um, look, we have a, a few things to go through here. I, I want to jump into to some some of the things we heard today from Penn State's uh, general manager for player personnel and recruiting, Andy Frank. Some really interesting things about this month of June and the recruiting calendar at, overall. Uh, official visit weekend right ahead of us. Another camp right ahead of us, but. I want to give you a chance to weigh in on the addition of DeMarco Dunn as Penn State finishes off its 2023-2024 roster. You've been tracking this one. You've had a couple stories as his recruitment process has developed in the transfer portal. What's your take on how this one got done for Penn State and what exactly it means to punctuate this roster build? It's probably a better gift than people realize just because they look at Dunn's numbers and they see that he didn't play a whole lot for North Carolina. And, you know, some people might look at that without much context. Hubert Davis didn't really go deep into his rotation last season. You know, he was really reliant on the veterans that helped North Carolina make a deep historic tournament run the previous season. So guys like Dunn were kind of, you know, left out in the cold a little bit. They didn't get as much playing time as maybe they should have received. I mean, Dunn was impactful went healthy for North Carolina at times last year. He did give them some good minutes. He had a 14-point performance in a win against Louisville. I know Louisville was terrible last year, but Dunn showed a lot of good things in that game. And he did slump in the second half of the season. So, you know, he did deal with some bouts of inconsistency. But I think a lot of that could be attributed just to the fact that he wasn't really receiving consistent playing time and, you know, consistent opportunities to leave his mark. He's a high-energy guy. He can get it done on both ends of the floor. I think really, you know, it, this might come across as a little bit outlandish just because he didn't play a whole lot for North Carolina and we're really 
just weighing his potential and what he had accomplished with increased minutes. But I think he has the chance to go down as the second best transfer addition from this transfer portal hall, you know, really with Ace Baldwin being the only other guy ahead of him. Maybe Nick Kern has a potential, but I just really feel like Dunn is a former top 100 recruit. I mean, if UNC is signing you, you got to have a pretty high level of talent. That's just the way the Tar Heels operate. I would say this is a pretty high-quality get for Penn State, and I think fans are going to come to really like what Dunn has to bring to the table. He's got multiple years of eligibility to develop and show himself playing Penn State's backcourt for Mike Rhodes. Yeah, it's nice to not have to get it all accomplished in one year with the program you transfer to. You can kind of settle in and grow within the program. That's what they think they have here in Dunn. Uh, we'll track the basketball team's growth as well. But, of course, here on the show and over at Lions 24-7, it always seems to circle back to football. We've got another big recruiting weekend on the horizon here. Tyler Calvaruso, the last one, produced three commitments by the end of Sunday. Um, what do we have in store this week? Let's start with the, the couple headliners. Give us two names that are at the top of your board that you'll be watching the closest. Nick Morris and Jameer Grimsley, for sure, just given where they are at on the board. You know, this is Penn State's. This is the big recruiting weekend of June. You, know, you have a total of more than 20 official visitors once you factor in all the commits. But Kari Jackson was on campus last weekend. Every single commit but Jackson is going to be there. And this is Penn State's most impressive haul of uncommitted visitors making it to campus. This was all set up by design by the staff. They want these commits in town while all these high-profile guys are in town as well. And just with starting with Marsh, I think we've kind of reached the point where I do think Penn State has a slight edge over Michigan State, but I'm still not going to the crystal ball just because, look, I mean, he's been committed to Michigan State. He's got a good relationship with that staff, and he's going to be back at Michigan State on June 23rd for an official visit before he announces his commitment on July 7th. I, I think that Penn State has put itself in a position where the relationship is important because Marcus Hagens has really pushed to land Marsh ever since he backed off that Michigan State commitment. And this was a new relationship that Marsh had to, you know, kind of get comfortable with. He knew Taylor Stubblefield. He didn't know anything about Hagens. And Hagens has kind of been able to pull off what Deion Barnes has pulled off with the Morris Williams, you know, new relationship, no pre-existing relationship, get him on campus. And, you know, really shortly after, Higgins took over and really in the thick of that spring visit schedule, everything went well, better than Marsh said it. He he's told us that he that visit went a lot better than he thought it would. And then he locks in the official visit shortly thereafter. So with Marsh, like I said, I mean, I'm not ready to go to the crystal ball yet, but this is one of those recruitments where I think Penn State could really help itself over the weekend. Maybe you help itself so significantly that he leaves as one of those guys who gives the staff a little bit of a nod about what he's thinking. I wouldn't put it past Marsh based on the way his recruitment is played out. And with Grimsley, I mean, he, he's the top remaining cornerback target at this point for Terry Smith. Terry Nichols is going to be on campus June 16th, and he's a really intriguing cornerback prospect as well. And Penn State just had Sione Lalea on campus, the junior college product, for an official visit, and things went very well there. But make no mistake about it, Grimsley is the top guy on the board for Penn State at cornerback. And with one more spot left at the position, you know, the staff feels it's kind of pertinent to put itself in the best spot to land him. I think they're already in that spot, They want, but the staff definitely wants to improve its standing this weekend. The big thing with Grimsley is, 
you know, he's a Florida native, and I do think that Florida State is kind of a – I would call him a sneaky contender to Lane Grimsley. I think they've got some juice there, but Bama is the school that I'm keeping an eye on. Alabama, I think, has a really good case to land Grimsley. And, I mean, it's Alabama. It kind of speaks for itself. Everyone knows what they've accomplished and with their reputation of putting DBs in the league. So there's definitely plenty of intrigue there as well. I think this is a Penn State-Bama battle right now. I think Penn State has a slight edge heading into the official visit. Grimley has already had a very productive multi-day stay at Penn State. During the spring, he was on campus for a couple days, and things went very well. So I think now that he's going to make him back with more of his family, that group gets the chance to get comfortable with Smith, as comfortable as Grimsley already is, get to know more of the staff, get more insight into what life at Penn State is like as a student athlete. I think that's going to be a pretty big selling point for Grimsley this weekend. So those two, I mean, those are the two biggest names. I would say in my opinion. I've got more for you. Don't oh, worry. There's I've got a lot more. more. Yeah, those are yeah, the I've two big ones of standing out. Uh, Grimsley, a long cornerback, six foot three out of Tampa Catholic in Florida. When we just started really focusing in on him and some of these recruiting conversations back in late winter, early spring, I don't think he had a ranking yet. Now mm-hmm. he's a top 200 overall prospect, a number 16 cornerback in the 24 seven sports rankings. And then Nick Marsh, another big bodied six foot three talent at receiver, a top 24 seven prospect as well. Adam Michigan and as you referenced, the Spartans would like to get him back in the fold, but they are having a tough go over right now, I think, in selling what they are putting together, not just as a program, but as an offensive passing scheme. Uh, so to, to sell Marsh versus what Penn State might be able mm-hmm. to put out there, uh, it, it, you'd probably like that head-to-head matchup right now, even even with the Michigan State, uh, with the Michigan native Definitely. versus going head-to-head with Alabama. That's always tough. And, and Penn State has done that. They don't deny Dennis Sutton's a, a guy that, that they would have loved to have. Elliot Washington, of course, top 24-7 cornerback that they signed. Was a member of Alabama's recruiting class last year, but that's always going toe-to-toe with the heavyweight right there when Nick Saban's in play. Uh, let's get into some of the other names because one of which uh, that we've talked about a lot uh, is is a five-star uh, and Waller. And, and Jamonte Waller uh, out of Mississippi – and it's for a while been saying, wait, Penn State's like the leader here? How is this happening? How does this work? We've got to bring it up to speed. There's been some movement. Uh, Penn State's in a really good spot, but they've got company here. Um, and, and it feels like a reinforcement would be a really big factor right now in Jamonte Waller's recruitment if they can pull it off during his 48-hour stay. It's crazy to think about, you know, Waller being a five-star edge rusher, and I didn't even mention him among what I think are the two most important visitors this weekend. It just speaks to the quality of the weekend. Waller's, I mean, you know, we've been talking about it for a while, that we have it pretty well sourced that Penn State has had an edge for Waller, and that's been the case for a while. I do think Auburn made progress with Waller during the first weekend of June. I think that SEC program, I think that's going to be a trend throughout this official visit season, the SEC programs on Waller's slate, making up some ground on Penn State. That's why I've been kind of hesitant to, you know, really assert Penn State as his true leader and, you know, go to the crystal ball or anything of that nature. I think this is a crucial visit for Penn State coming up this weekend with Waller. I think the staff really needs to hit it out of the park to maintain its top at the spot, the top spot on his list. And I do think it is encouraging for Penn State that Waller has already visited a Penn State or an SEC program before making it to Penn State. And while I do think Auburn definitely made up some ground, Penn State is still on top. So it's kind of already survived one of those SEC power players that has the ability to throw some cash around and, you know, accomplish some pretty good ground on the NIL front. So I think that Penn State, you know, this is a big opportunity 
for them this weekend. The staff really loves Waller. He's looking forward to getting back to see really more what they think the future is for him. You know, there's been times where the pitch has been as a linebacker. There's been times where the pitch is as an edge rusher. He's looking to gain a little bit more clarity on that. Well, from what we've been hearing, it's been sounding like it's been more of an edge pitch recently. And Waller has been very receptive of that. So this isn't something that has hurt Penn State in its pursuit of Waller, not in the slightest. So getting him on campus, you know, he's going to be another one of those guys that's going to be prioritized by the staff because really he's kind of – he's one of those recruits who is, you know, not really subject to the numbers game. He's always going to have a spot in this class if he wants it. He can be a plus one to the defensive line hall if that's what it comes to. This is going to be a bigger class for Penn State anyway. And if Waller gives the indication that he wants to join the group at any point in the cycle, he's going to have a place. And, you know, if you want to make that happen, lay the groundwork for it this weekend as the staff has been doing a really nice job of with him already. At the tight end position in recruiting cycles spanning 2018, which was headlined by Pat Fryermuth, all the way through 2024 when we're talking about now a top 100 talent in Luke Reynolds. Penn State has has brought in eight blue chip tight end prospects. Uh, they've got one in this 2024 class, but they're also going to get a chance to take a closer look and, and vice versa with Caleb Odom, who's considered the number five overall tight end in the country out of Carrollton, Georgia. Coming up to campus, Alabama, Auburn, Miami, you name it in the southeast region. That offer is probably on the table for Caleb Odom. They've already got a, a really strong commitment at that position. A guy who's planning to enroll early in January in Luke Reynolds. But, boy, you love to at least get your opportunity to take a swing with a prospect of this caliber and certainly Penn State's track record at the position. The last three starters at tight end for them, second-round picks in the NFL. That's going to help get some sway and get a guy in an airplane. Yeah, Odom and Carter Holmes from Nebraska, the two big swings that Penn State has continued to take at tight end following the commitment of Luke Reynolds. And, I mean, I know Odom is making it to campus this weekend, and we always say, look what the Penn State staff can accomplish with kids when it gets them to town for official visits. It's one of those schools where getting, actually getting them in town physically is so important just because it has the staff has shown that it has the ability to completely turn the tide of a recruitment. But with Odom, man, I, I just – I got a tough time seeing this one leaving the South. I think at this point he's going to wind up at Alabama. But the staff's going to take its best crack at him this weekend. And, you know, you really can't put anything past them at this point. You know, the production kind of speaks for itself in that regard. But this is going to be a tough one for the staff to pull off. I think Alabama's done a really good job with Odom. They're my pick for him right now. But, hey, look, crazier things have happened, man. We'll see. Um, more locally, a couple names I wanted to address before we get out of here. An another long-distance name making the trip, Nigel Smith. He's been on a national tour out of Texas, a four-star defensive lineman. But a couple names that, that are more in the region, names that we've discussed a little bit here. Malachi Williams, the edge rusher out of Drexel Hill, Monsignor Bonner. Uh, he's a four-star uh, in 24-7 sports evaluation, getting back to campus. And then there's a prospect out of New Jersey, Tyler Calvaruso, that Brian Doan recently put a crystal ball pick in for. Take us through those two prospects, because I, I feel like if we're looking at impending potential commitments, where does the class grow? These are a couple of names that at least on the surface I'm looking toward. Got to start with the in-state guy, Malachi Williams. You know, it looked like for a while there's going to be a Penn State-Notre Dame battle. And I think Penn State has a pretty clear edge right now over Notre Dame. Not really sure what exactly Notre Dame's approach has been with Williams recently, but he wiped that official visit. There's been talk that there's a chance he makes it back there 
for a midweek visit at some point, but there's also been an indication that, you know, this weekend could be the one that seals the deal for Williams and his recruitment. He's got Pittsburgh and Syracuse on his official visit docket following Penn State. You know, depending on how things play out this weekend, I think there's a very real chance he does not make those trips. The staff's feeling pretty good about where they're at with Williams. I mean, the relationship with Deion Barnes is a really, really good one. Williams likes him, likes really the whole staff, you know, from what he's told me. He just likes the family atmosphere surrounding the program. He likes State College. He likes pretty much everything Penn State has to offer from what I've been able to gather through my conversations with him. So I'm feeling pretty good about that crystal ball pick entering the weekend. I do think Penn State has a real chance to make a move and add an edge rusher to this class, you know, coming out of the weekend. And then back to Jersey, you know, the four-star safety, Vabu Torre from Irvington High. So like you mentioned, Brian Dunn has the crystal ball pick in for him to land with the Nittany Lions. I'm seriously considering following and that pick based on the, some of the uh, conversations that I've had this week. I think that Penn State is in the best spot to land Vabu Torre right now. His recruitment has been a little bit, you know, it's kind of like Dewan Lane, but not as quiet as Dewan Lane. A little bit louder than Dewan Lane, but he, he's not, he's really focused on his own process and not the public, you know, affair with it. It's more, he's he's locked in on looking for what he wants in a school, and that's what he's really been focused on throughout these months. There were a couple of instances where he was supposed to be at Penn State for visits, and he didn't make it, you know, that's kind of, it wasn't indicative of a lack of interest in Penn State or anything like that. It was kind of just either scheduling things or he wasn't feeling up to the visit. It's not like he was surfacing elsewhere, right? He wasn't spurning Penn State to go check out an SEC program or a Big 12 program or anything like that. He just wasn't making visits really all that often during the spring. Staff has stayed on him, you know, feedback has been pretty positive. So this is another one I do think Penn State has a chance to wrap this weekend. There hasn't been any real indication that Torrey could be coming to a decision soon, but again, you get him on campus, you can at least lay the groundwork for that to happen, whether it be immediately coming out of the visit or a week, two, three weeks down the road, because he does have other visits on the docket, but Penn State, pretty good spot for Torrey, and with Williams, I'm really liking where they're at. As you said, huge group of commits on campus uh, for, for this weekend. We, we heard from uh, the com uh, committed quarterback of this group, uh, Ethan Grunkemeyer, on this podcast last week. And he said he was really excited to, to get face-to-face -face with a bunch of targets, also build the bonds with his future teammates. So there's a lot going on there, but naturally a lot of intrigue with the guys who are coming to town without a commitment yet, still working through their decisions. And for the second consecutive week, a huge June weekend ahead for Penn State. They worked their way towards it with 17 commitments on board, number six class nationally. And uh, just setting the stage, Tyler, before we say goodbye, what should our VIP subscribers expect to, to see from your coverage this upcoming weekend? And for those who are still taking a long look at that 60% off annual subscription, what can they dive into and find these next 72 hours? I mean, we're just really going to have starting tomorrow full-fledged previews of what to expect this weekend until we've been here. And, you know, even a look outside of this weekend of where some of Penn State's other top targets are at. You know, this is a busy month for those guys as well. You know, we, we try to take a look at everything from a broader spectrum. We're going to be checking out where those guys are visiting, how things are standing with them as they hit the road and go elsewhere. And then, obviously, Sunday, we got the Elite Showcase to camp official visits are going to be wrapping up and we're going to have a lot of intel to share with our vip subscribers just as we did last weekend you know it could wind up being an even busier weekend than it was last weekend you know we still got to see what comes together on that front but it, it's definitely this is the time of year if you want to be a live 24 7 subscriber it's it's the time i'm telling you with all this recruiting intel that we have to share and you know the ever-changing just landscape of the recruiting world i mean there's going to be a lot of things going on in happy valley so I definitely encourage anyone who's listening right now, if you're not subscribed, get in while you still can. It's a good time to be part of it. 
And this might be the best time for conversation on our message board, yes. too. I mean, get get working our way towards preseason, getting familiar with the target board, watching the recruiting classes grow, getting live feedback from the camps. And you know, it just, it's a really fun time for the community. Uh, appreciate everything you do for the community, Tyler Calvaruso, hopping on with the podcast with us, as always. We'll check in with you real soon. Thanks for having me back on, man. All right, great stuff from my uh, colleagues at Lions247.com, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen, Tyler Calvaruso. Very fortunate on a day like this where it feels like a news frenzy and you're trying to figure out what to talk about, that you can lean on teammates like them and get to the finish line. About an hour and 15 minutes of audio we sent your way here. So hopefully that takes you into the weekend on a high note. You can start to smell the football in the air a little bit as we work our way towards those early August practices, the schedule now in place for not just this season, but starting to get a look at what the new Big Ten era might look like. A lot of coverage on that at lines247.com. And as Tyler just referenced, a ton of recruiting content coming your way between the 15 plus official visits and all of the camp action that'll be happening on Sunday afternoon here in Happy Valley. For now, stepping aside, I am Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.